Will you join me in prayer as we begin? Father, we do come to the throne of grace today. Lord, we have lifted our voices in praise to you this morning. We have brought our songs before you, our prayers now. And we just ask your blessings as we look into the word today. Lord, I pray, give us open hearts and teachable spirits. Open us up to what you have to say through uh, the word today, through the pen of Luke. And I just pray your presence with me and your anointing as I bring the message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're looking at a familiar passage today. Let me just read from Luke chapter 8 and verses 9 to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's just put this story in a little bit of context as we begin. Uh, under my introduction, I've got the question, where are we? And the question actually refers to where the people are when we're coming to this story. Jesus is on his way with the disciples to Jerusalem. You can go all the way back to Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. And you'll see there that it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, the crucifixion, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So we're on the road. And indeed, as we come to chapter 18 of Luke, quite literally, uh, the apostles, the disciples, everyone that's with him, everyone that's watching him, they're right outside of Jericho. In fact, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, is probably just a few days away, even as we begin uh, to hear this parable and some of the other parables Jesus has said. But that leads also to a question, if this is where they are geographically, where's Jesus? And the question is not, is he not visible? He is. But the question is, where's his heart? Where's his spirit? Where's his mind as he teaches this parable to the, uh, to the people? And in fact, in Luke chapter 18, uh, if you were to go a few verses further down to verse 31, it tells us there, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they'll kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. So what we have is a situation where Jesus is really on the last leg of the trip to Jerusalem to the crucifixion. And so the apostles, they still don't understand this. That puts this parable in kind of the context. Jesus is desperately trying to get them to understand everything that's going to be happening. He wants them to see 
what's important about him going up to Jerusalem. And he wants them to see the spirit and attitude that they need to bring to him. And not to him, but to bring to that situation. So that's the context that we see the parable set in right here. And then when Jesus begins to preach or begins to teach, he sets the temple, or not the temple, he sets uh, the context very well because he says, it tells us, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus is on the way. He's going to be going to the cross. People, the apostles in particular, are going to be learning that there's nothing that is going to save them at all that they're doing, that it's all going to be in their belief and in their faith. He wants them to hear that, and he wants them to see that. And so he brings this parable to them, and he starts out with the parable. Who are the participants here? We've got two, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And as I said, this is a familiar parable to a lot of us. I mean, many of you who have been Christians for any length of time have heard it, know it, are familiar with it. Uh, it's one of the classic parables, if you will, that preachers like to preach on for very good reasons. And so as we come to it, it's important to recognize precisely the fact that when we're looking at it in Luke, it's the first time anybody's heard it. Jesus hasn't used this parable before. He hasn't talked this way before. And it's important to recognize, too, that the people involved are very clear icons in the parable, in the church. There's a very clear polar opposite between the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's kind of interesting, as I was thinking through this, trying to figure out how to... Uh, to come to it, you know, when we go to the movies a lot of times, we like to go to a movie where we go in and we sit down, and it's pretty obvious in most movies who the characters are. You know, the bad guy in the Western is usually the one wearing the black hat, riding the black horse. Uh, when he comes into the saloon, he's the one that kicks the dog. He's very clearly, and everybody says, oh, yep, got that one pegged, that's the bad guy right there. And the good guy, is usually the one on the white horse. He's the one that comes into the saloon and pets the dog. And he's the one that, you know, is polite to all of the ladies, and he's the one that is just sort of a, a gentleman. And we kind of very quickly place him like that. Oh, this is the good guy, that's the bad guy, let's go from here. And what's fun, though, is when you go to a movie where you get in and the director and his wisdom is able to turn the tables on you. The black hat guy comes in, but he doesn't kick the dog. And so you're like, wait a minute, isn't he supposed to be the bad guy? What's going on here? And then the guy in the white hat comes in, and he's rather snarly and nasty to people, and he sits down, and we're saying, wait, 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 wait. This is confusing. And so we have to step back, and we start to listen more to the message of the movie. We start to pay attention because it's not doing what we expect. Well, this parable is like that. For you guys, when I said the word Pharisee, you immediately said, oh, black hat, bad guy. And when I said tax collector, you said, yep, yep, yep there's the good guy. Okay, I see where this is going. Well, when Jesus told the story, he was like the director who flips 
the script. He was like the director who changes things up to the people who are listening. Because as they're listening, the Pharisee is the good guy. I mean, a Pharisee back in those days, these are the super Christians, if you will, the super religious. These are the guys that knew all about scripture. They were the ones that tithed. They were the ones that fasted. They did all of these things. They were the ones that stood at the front of the synagogue and of the temple. These were the guys that had the way to heaven wired. That was where they were going. And the tax collectors were not. The tax collector, in this case, should have been the bad guy. The tax collector ought to be the guy wearing the black hat, kicking the dog, and being generally nasty. And so Jesus sets us up with a parable like this. But as we look into it, we begin to see what the director is doing here. As I said, the participants in the parable are simple. It's the Pharisee and the tax collector. But what do we know about Pharisees? Jesus has not made it unclear what he thinks about them. Indeed, you only have to go back a few passages in Luke to Luke chapter 11 and verse 39. And in another context, Jesus says this about the Pharisees. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Wait a minute. He's starting to sound a little bit like the bad guy here. And as he gets ready to pray, if you were listening, he came across very spiritual sounding. But listen to what Jesus says when he's teaching the apostles the Lord's Prayer back in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. He says, and when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. All of a sudden, that hat, that white spiritual hat, that halo that that Pharisee seems to be wearing and is wearing to the audience that's first hearing this, this uh, uh, parable, that hat's turning black, and it's turning black pretty doggone fast. So you've got a Pharisee coming in, the one who's supposed to be the hero of the story. But then we get to another. We've got the tax collector. And for you all who are following along, the tax collector, I mean, Jesus, he parties with tax collectors. He's the one that kind of calls Matthew, the tax collector, to be one of his followers. And he's the good guy, isn't he? He's, he's, he's not really the bad guy. Yeah, he really is a bad guy, at least on the surface. It's interesting. When you think of a tax collector, no, it's tax season right now. In fact, my wife was babysitting while my son and daughter-in-law were doing their taxes today. And none of us like taxes. None of us like tax collectors particularly. But, yeah, we get along with them. It's okay. But you fail to understand that back in the day, tax collectors clearly wore the black hats. If you uh, are fans of movies, we'll keep going with that a little bit. You know that if you watch a World War II movie, particularly one where 
you've got uh, the underground, the resistance fighting. Invariably, there's one character in there. Usually it's the mayor of the little French town that they're uh, headquartered in or whatever, who has sold himself out to the Nazis. He's the one that uh, lives under their shadow. He's the one that turns people in. He's the one that takes money from them. He's the one that is collaborating with the bad, bad guys. He's the one that everyone looks at and they know this guy's evil. He is a traitor. He is totally despicable, the worst of the worst. And then the day that Jesus preaches this parable, the tax collector is right there with the worst of the worst. You think I'm joking a little bit, but remember, if you're a tax collector in Israel, who do you work for? It's not Israel. It's not the people in the temple. You work for the Romans. You're not collecting taxes for the nation of Israel. You're collecting taxes for the Romans. Who are the Romans? They're the occupiers. They're the ones that have their armored foot on the neck of the people of Israel. They're the Nazis in the story. The tax collector is the, Jew, is the mayor who is supporting them and working with them. And to a good Jew, you want nothing to do with a tax collector. This is the guy that's wearing the black hat or should be wearing the black hat in their eyes. He's not just a bad guy because he's a tax collector. He's a guy that is a traitor. He's a man who has sold his people and his country out to the occupiers. He's the worst of the worst. It's interesting. They tell us in Jewish history that tax collectors back in this time weren't even allowed to give alms in the temple because their money was so tainted by how traitors they were. So as we're looking at the characters and the participants here, the Pharisees, the one wearing the white hat, at least when Jesus, his audience is listening the first time. The tax collector has got the blackest of black hats. That's why when you listen to this story, it's really important to listen as if you've never heard it before, to listen and recognize who these guys are and what they're doing and how they're viewed back in the day. So you've got two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector. They're coming as Jesus tells us in the parable, to the temple. So they're coming to the temple, and they're there, and as they are there, Jesus fills us in a little bit. The Pharisee is standing up, and he's standing up front, and he is standing aside from everybody because he's so pure. He doesn't want to stand with that kind of rabble that's out there in the court praying. He kind of stays away so he doesn't, dirty himself and he prays standing up with his eyes to heaven and he's looking up at the Lord and he is praying there this is the righteous guy this is this is the white hat guy that they're looking for this is, they're kind of thinking okay you know it sounds a little bit bad but all right uh, maybe he's what we think he is and yet even while he's standing up front he's standing in the court and he's standing up front, and in the position he assumes in the temple, he can see quite literally where the priests are doing the sacrifices. And so he can stand up close like that, and he can watch the priests at work, and he's so holy and so special. 
That's where he is. But the tax collector, he can't even get into the same part of the temple that the Pharisee's at. It tells us that the Pharisee was at the back, that he wouldn't even look up because he was so ashamed and so embarrassed to be there. He was looking down, and he wasn't even allowed in the same court as the, gen as the Pharisee was because even though he was Jewish, he was banned from the court of the Jews. He had to stay back in the court of the Gentiles where he couldn't see a priest, where he couldn't mix with the holy people. He was back in the back, and he was hiding there. But both of them came for one thing, for one purpose. They were both coming because they wanted to pray. And so we have the Pharisee. And listen to the prayer. See if you hear a repeated word, things you always look for in Scripture. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a day. I give tithes of all that I get. This is a man, catch the repeated word, I. This is where the I problem comes from. This is a man who is coming, and he's coming to pray to God, just like the tax collector is. But when he comes to pray to God, it's like he's given God a resume. It's like he's going in there, and he's looking up to God, and he is saying, God, I am so good. Look at what I do. He says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, meaning that he's looking around at everyone else, and he's saying, I'm not like them. And he tells us that it's not because of anything God has done, but it's because of everything that he's done. That's where I, 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 I keeps coming in. He says, I thank you I'm not like other men, like this tax collector, meaning he doesn't sully himself with dirt, with reaching out to people. He keeps himself apart, just like he does here in the temple. Has no desire to be like them, to mix with them, to share what he has or what he's done when he is with them. And then he goes on, he says, I fast twice a week. And we think, okay, that sounds good. But this is where all of the people who are listening to the story for the first time, those Jews, the ones that Jesus is speaking to, perk their little ears up because when he says this, he says, I fast twice a week, meaning he's fasting a hundred times a year. And yet Moses, through God's word, tells Israel, you really only have to fast one day a year. And that's on the Day of Atonement. So here's super spiritual. He doesn't fast one day a year. He fasts a hundred days a year, even more, because he's so spiritual. And God kind of owes him for this. And then it says, he says, I give tithes of all that I have. And that sounds good. You give tithes like you're supposed to. But you go back to what Moses taught in the law, Israel was supposed to give tithes, but not of everything. They were to give tithes of some of the produce of their fields, like the grapes or the wheat, the things that they grew, the olives. But this is a guy that, like Jesus says, give tithes, gives tithes of the mint that's in his garden. Super spiritual. This guy goes above and beyond 
to do that. And they're hearing that. And then he says this. He says, uh, I do all of these things. And he's kind of checking the list for God and telling God precisely how righteous he is. And you notice who's not getting any credit for the righteousness. It's God. God's not getting any credit for this. The Pharisee's telling God everything that he does, and he's looking at him, and he's saying, and because I'm this way, you owe me. You owe me. Kind of interesting, this uh, parable has caught the attention of scholars going all the way back to the 4th century to the uh, um, Catholic scholar, Augustine. And Augustine pinpoints for the Pharisee exactly what's wrong with him. He said this, he said, the Pharisee was not rejoicing so much in his own clean bill of health as in comparing it with the diseases of others. He came to the doctor. It would have been more worthwhile to inform him by confession of the things that were wrong with himself instead of keeping his wounds secret and having the nerve to crow over the scars of others. It's not surprising that the tax collector went away cured since he had not been ashamed of showing where he felt pain. Do you remember the passage I read a little bit earlier about the Pharisees, about the cup being clean on the outside and yet full of abomination on the inside? That's precisely what we're seeing here. This is precisely where Jesus is starting to turn the characterizations right on their head. All of a sudden that black hat is starting to fit that Pharisee very, very well. And it's because the Pharisee is so busy telling God how good he is. And like Augustine, he hits the nail right on the head when he says that's roughly like going to the doctor and telling the doctor, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, doc. Uh, no, no complaints here today. Uh, get out. I exercise pretty regularly. I eat right. Um, I'm, I'm doing really well. And then expecting to get up and go away. The doctor is saying, well, let me give you a listen here. And he puts that stethoscope up to the heart. And he says, you know what? I'm, I'm hearing something that doesn't sound right. You know, it's like that moment in the doctor's office when the doctor's listening to things and all of a sudden you hear, uh-oh. And the Pharisee is trying his best to tell the doctor he doesn't need to be looked at, that he's got it all under control. And the doctor wants to look at his heart. He wants to listen to his lungs. He wants to tap his knee to see what his reflexes look like because the doctor's the one who knows you can be doing all the things that he did and you can still have cancer inside. You can be doing all the things that are supposed to keep you so healthy and still have high blood pressure and not even know it. And this is where the Pharisee is. This is the Pharisee as he is in before the Lord and he wants to tell the Lord how good he is without having the Lord look anyplace else. So that's what we have when we deal with the Pharisee. But now I want you to take a look at the tax collector. I gave you a pretty ugly picture of him and it's a picture that for the day was extremely accurate. For you and I today it's roughly the equivalent of sitting here in church and looking up and seeing the drug dealer from the corner that we all know coming into church and getting ready to pray. 
And so when he comes in, he just comes in, the tax collector, he doesn't look up. He's looking down. He's not raising his hands to heaven. He's beating his chest, which is a sign of grief. And he doesn't give God a resume of all the specific things that he's done that make him so righteous. His resume consists of one word, sinner. This is the guy that comes in and recognizes how bad he really is. J.C. Ryle, who was an old Puritan, says this though, and I want you to listen carefully to what he says. He says, the publican is overwhelmed by the sense of his own unworthiness. That's pretty clear to us, and rightly so. It is a clear, great mistake though, to regard the publican as a decent sort of fellow who knew his own limitations and did not pretend to be better than he was. The publican was a rotter, and he knew it. He asked for God's mercy because mercy was the only thing that he dared to ask for. He had no good resume. He was not able, like the Pharisee, to point to the things he'd done. All he could do was point to his heart and beat on it and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Recognize that the guy coming here, the people who are listening to Jesus, the one that they see here who ought to be wearing the black hat, deserves to be wearing the black hat. The only points he gets are because he recognizes precisely who he is and what he is. And he's willing to let the Lord know that and leave it right there. So we've got our two men. We've got our Pharisee. We've got our tax collector. And now we get to the lesson, the lesson that Jesus has. He says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. And he's referring to the tax collector rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that leaves a pretty clear application. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Self-righteous like the Pharisee. And the question begins to be, what about you and I? How does this apply to us today? What would the ones who were listening have taken away from this? I think it's interesting if you go back right to the beginning when Jesus introduced, when the, the story's introduced, it says Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. A lot of people think that Jesus is telling this to the Pharisees who are kind of around, who are listening to him, and he's not. Jesus knows that the Pharisees are listening, and he figures that they'll get the message. They can understand it. But Jesus isn't talking to them. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the people that are following with him, going with him to Jerusalem. He's talking to them, and he wants them to come to realize that you've been mistaken all along. You look at Pharisees, and you think that it's works that get you to heaven. You look at the Pharisees and you admire them for their spirituality and you miss completely the fact that they aren't relying on God. He wants the disciples, even the 12, to hear, I'm talking 
to you. Because think about it. It's three years now that the disciples have been with him. They're the ones that went and heard John the Baptist speak. And they knew that John the Baptist had pointed to Jesus and said, the Lamb of God, follow him. And they did. And when he came along the shore and he said to Peter and Andrew and James and John, come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They did. They came. And they have been listening. And they've seen the miracles. They've watched him, including raising people from the dead. And Jesus is still talking to them. You recognize me. You hear my teaching. And yet you're still looking for ways to earn your way to heaven. You still are self-righteous, not because you're a Pharisee. You've recognized what I've said about them. But he's saying you're self-righteous still because you think that because you've been with me and you've heard my teaching, that that's all you need, that you know me. But are you following me with your heart? Have you really come to recognize that what's going to happen to you in the future, your salvation depends not on how well you know me, not on how well you can recite scripture verses. It depends on how well you know that you aren't going to do this on your own, that it comes down to not works. He's been trying to drum that into their heads, even works in following him, but it comes down to reliance on Jesus Christ. Reliance on nothing but. This is where the tax collector really drives home the message. As evil, as ugly as he is, he recognizes the one thing. There's nothing he can do except beg for the mercy of Christ. And Jesus is trying to get that message to him. I started off the message today making a point of putting it in context. They're on the road to Jerusalem. And to them... They don't know exactly what that means, but to Jesus, he knows. He has laid it out specifically for him, and he's going to do it again in just a few verses, that he's going to go and he's going to die, and he wants them to understand that he has to do this precisely so that he can answer the tax collector's prayer, so that he can say to the tax collector, I will have mercy on you because you have depended on me. And I will not have mercy on the Pharisee because irregardless of how spotless his resume is, it all focuses on him and not on me. One of the things that comes out of this for you and I, something that we need to be really aware of is this, that when I speak to you, when I say be aware of being like the Pharisee and be like the tax collector. How do we ultimately do that? And the simple answer is this. The true cure for self-righteousness is self-knowledge. The Pharisee could point to all the things he had done and knew nothing about himself. He knew nothing of the sin that was within. All he could do was look and tell God God about the great things he had done, how he had fasted so much more than was required, how he tithed so much more than was required, how he did all the things that he was supposed to do, and he had no concept whatsoever of his sin. 
The cup on the outside was gorgeous. It was clean to within an inch of its life. It was spotless white. But as soon as you turned the cup up and you looked inside, he couldn't see the dirt. He couldn't see the ugliness. He couldn't see everything he had missed. And for the tax collector, evil as he was, bad as he was, rightfully bad as he was, he had one thing that he knew. I'm a sinner. And he knew that nothing was going to wipe away that sin except God and coming to him. So for you and I this morning, the question is, what are you looking to? The question is, what kind of self-knowledge do you have? Are you continuing to really think about who you are? Or are you looking to self-righteousness? You can be a Pharisee without ever having to give the resume that he did. But far better to be the tax collector who, as bad as he was, knew who he was. Go to God. Go to Jesus. Ask him, what is it that I am? Ask the Lord for the self-knowledge that you need. Not because I want to make us all feel bad. Not because I want to say that we're all as bad as the tax collector was. But because I want us all to realize, though, that bottom line is, no matter what we do, even as good Christians, we're still sinners. And no matter what we do, it's not going to make a whit of difference when we stand at the throne of grace. The only thing that will make the difference is the cry of the tax collector. God be merciful to me, a sinner, because we recognize our sin. Let me just close with one last verse. This comes from the Apostle Paul. It should be, again, a very familiar verse, I think, to a lot of us. It's Paul speaking to the Ephesian church. And remember, Paul is speaking these words to Christians now. He doesn't have an audience of saved and unsaved. He's speaking the word to those who should know God. And he says this. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ. See, right there is the difference Jesus is trying to get the disciples, those following him on the way to Jerusalem, to hear that it's not the Pharisees' works. Those mean nothing. What it is, is your faith and your recognition of God's grace. That's what he's speaking to. That's what he's saying to us. As you go through the passage, it's interesting to me. Last week when Kevin was here, he preached on another passage right before this one about prayer. And it was about persistence in prayer. Here we have one about our spiritual attitude when we come to prayer. What follows next is the story about the rich young ruler, the one who was depending upon his riches and could not give them up because he was so, so dependent upon them. And then we come to the words of Christ. And what we see here throughout chapter 18 and indeed going back to chapter 17 is what Jesus is doing 
is he's telling a series of stories. He's saying, be persistent in your prayer. But when you're being persistent, don't be persistently telling God how good you are. Be persistently telling God you recognize who you are and that you're depending not upon your riches, like the rich young ruler to get you into heaven, not upon your keeping the Ten Commandments, but you're depending on his grace. You're depending on your recognition of your sin and your need and his willingness to extend that grace. Why don't we go ahead and close in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this parable that we have looked at. Help us, Lord, to see that you do turn it on its head. And I would just pray, Lord, for each and every one of us here today, the constant reminder of who we are so that we can keep in front of us who we are and see beyond that to the grace that you give. In Jesus' name, amen.